Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at Full Four Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very good friend in life. Ahead of the second week of preseason, it is none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how's everything going for you on the back end? I'm doing okay, and I just want to let everybody know that I had a dentist appointment this morning, so if I'm talking a little funny, uh, the Novocaine hasn't completely worn off, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to power through because I'm a professional, and I'm happy to have one of my good friends in life, Bob Harris here, football diehard, Sirius XM fame, Hall of Famer in the uh, Fantasy Sports Writers Association. Welcome, welcome to the uh, podcast, pot, uh, Bob. Thanks for having me on. And just just saw John in Canton uh, over the weekend. So uh, good times were had by all there. As a, and, and here we are, ready to jump into the season. We gave each other a big hug in front of the cornhole sign-up desk before, before also good friend Rich Rebard knocked me out in the first round. What a jerk. But good times nonetheless. It's always great to catch up with you, Bob. And you were here today not only to talk about fades, but we also get to talk about preseason news. I know you've been very busy at SiriusXM and Fantasy Football Diehards also discussing these items. So very excited to get your opinion on everything. But but before we begin, a quick reminder that promo code 444 at underdog, and that's important because what we're about to get into can actually give you access to this gets you a free 444 Pro subscription, and all you have to do is actually deposit $10 as a first-time user, and you'll get that bonus match up to $100 for your first deposit. And again, promo code 444, that's how you gain access. And that's important because our first item of news, Bob, that you and I probably both watched from the bar at the Doubletree in Canton, Ohio, was seeing Damian Pierce emerge. Only five carries, but 9.8 yards per carry in Houston's first preseason game, forcing multiple missed tackles on those five carries and registering eight and a half yards per contact per attempt. Your thoughts so far on Damian Harris, who at underdog in particular has risen in this span, this seven-day stretch, from... 120 overall ADP to 106 and probably will emerge in the top 100 players in the next few days. Yeah, I think as we see performances like this in the summer, especially in a team that was one of the worst rushing offenses in football last year, obviously has a great need to, to run the ball more effectively. Brought in Marlon Mack. I had spoken with John McClain, the great you know, former Houston Chronicle writer, just recently and, and kind of thought, well, maybe Marlon Mack is the late play. Maybe there's something worthwhile there. Uh, and I can do a good McClain impression was, he sucks. Uh, so, uh, you know, and he hasn't, you know, I think that's a little bit of overstating the case, but clearly they're looking for the younger guy to come in and get something done. Performances like this will add a little bit to the momentum. Even if Marlon Mack starts early in the season, uh, you know, we've all expected, uh, you know, Pierce to take this over at some point, maybe it's sooner now than we all thought at first. And Paulson, I've actually been treating Mack just like that. Just like McLean, who has never been one to mince words anyhow, by the way, mentions that in the first month of the season, I actually draft Marlon Mack late since we know we're always pragmatic and need touches to get us to the contingency options, especially if we're building zero RB rosters and I have Rashad White, Alexander Madison, Isaiah Spiller, and don't actually expect them to get touches early on. I think Mack is still a great way to get double-digit touches, at least in the first month of the season. So what did you do for your rankings and projections following Pierce's emergence? I guess it is. Well, I already had Pierce ahead of Mac in terms of full season projections, but uh, I was starting to tilt it a little bit more the rookie's way. Uh, it seems like, you know, it'd be sooner rather than later that he takes over the, the job. Uh, I think I just looked and I have him at RB 39. It looks like his ADP is RB 37. Uh, so I might be a little bit low on him relative to consensus ADP, but um you know, the, I think one of my concerns with this is that it's the Texans and we just don't know like what this offense is going to generate in terms of touchdowns and yards. I mean, they had about 1,400 rushing yards last year, 3.4 yards per carry, uh, eight rushing touchdowns. So there's not just going off of last year, there's not a whole lot of production out of it, but maybe he can improve, improve that. And their offensive line should be a little bit better. They spent a net of 4.3 million in free agency. Uh, they, they also drafted a, a, a lineman in the first three rounds. I'm just looking at my uh, who invested in the uh, in Boston, uh, offensive line article. Uh, so they have a net of two new players in. So that maybe that's a little bit better offensive line. They can start to you know get closer to four yards per carry, and maybe Pierce can get him there uh, this year. I don't know. I don't know what his receiving profile looks like. I think Rex Burkhead is kind of 
slated for that. So it's just not, he's not a player that I'm super, you know, interested in at this point. But if he keeps lighting up in preseason, then that's going to, that's going to change a little bit. Pierce didn't allow a single pressure across four years in the SEC with the Gators in pass protection. But he also wasn't ever really a full-time player, oddly enough. And I don't know how we gauge that since Florida has always treated their players oddly, even going back to Kadarius Tony the year prior. But I think he can be a force in the passing game. It's just a matter of when that happens. It's what we're really trying to figure out. Another impactful news that came down actually Thursday morning, just before this recording, is that Deshaun Watson now has officially been suspended 11 games. Paulson, let's start with you because I'm still trying to wrap my head around what this does for everyone, believing it's still going to be Jacoby Brissett and there's no Jimmy Garoppolo trade really on the table for this team in that first 11-game span. So how are you adjusting the projections for this one? Yeah, I, uh, I sent out a few tweets today right when it happened uh, prior to my dentist appointment, and I had to adjust the projections uh, at that point. I had them, you know, listed for this, you know, six-game six suspension, but I think we all knew after the appeal that we were going to be looking at a longer suspension and it might be a full year. So it just sort of depends on how you look at your expectations versus the new reality for the Cleveland players. I, I sort of left it the way they were, way it was, just because I was, you know, hoping that the uh, the news would come down sooner rather than later, and I didn't have to adjust my projections six times before the start of the season. Um, but certainly, those players, those skill players, moved down, um, moving from a six game suspension to 11's game suspension. But if you look at it from a, oh, Watson might have missed the whole year to now he's going to play the last six games, it's a little bit of a better outlook for some of those players, depending on what your frame of reference is. So, uh, long story short, I think uh, Deshaun Watson is not like somebody you should even really consider in a one quarterback format. Uh, like, it's just you can't hold on to a player like that for 12 weeks in a one quarterback league because there's just so many options out there. You could stream and get better production. You could have a committee, you could whatever. Um, I think in a two quarterback league or super flex, he's a little more interesting if you have enough of a roster space on your bench where you can hold him. Um, but it, again, you're holding him for 12 weeks, not 11 because of the bye week. And that roster spot is very valuable to you if you're if you're active on the waiver wire and want to you know roll over your running backs or receivers or tight ends or other positions so um he might be able to help you down the stretch he does uh, you know I've, I've seen some people tweeting that watson is not eligible to come back to the team until the suspension is over so he's got to get but that's not i don't think that's the case i think he's able to come back uh, halfway through a suspension or at least you know three or four weeks before his suspension's over so he can work out uh, and get up to up to speed. Um, I'm sort of expecting low end QB one numbers when he does return, uh, and that means that Amari Cooper will be pretty good down the stretch. David and Joku will be pretty good down the stretch. This offense should uptick, but I think you know it's going to be a slog <laughs> to get to week twelve. And uh, I, th I think uh, you know Cooper and will be okay, but not great. And Joku has a chance to be okay, but not great. Yeah, to John's point, he can come back, I think, October 10th and then can't play until December. But, you know, it wasn't that great. You know, we, we got a narrow sample, uh, you know, the uh, exhibition opener. That was kind of lackluster. And you wonder if this isn't going to be a bit more of a process to get him up to speed this offense. This is maybe a next year thing. You know, John, we were in the uh, Scott Fishbowl in L.A. And I uh, I burned a pick on, on Watson. And, like, you know, we'll see late in the season. Maybe I get something out of it. But I think people, like you said, in single quarterback leagues, there's no reason at all to have him on your roster. And I think the bigger concern here is can Jacoby Brissett fuel the fires of these assets that we're interested in as our friend Gary Davenport put it with his worm burners uh you know it's, he's, he's gonna have to work on that accuracy a little bit so hopefully he can get something done but Cooper's kind of like mm, he may come up later in the show David Njoku is still one of my favorite late rod tight ends if only for the scheme and the wide open target tree like we can't guarantee it's likely so that Amari Cooper leads his team in target share but we can't guarantee that especially since Kevin Stefanski's system has actually finished top four the past two years in tight end target rate and so I want to bet on a 26 year old and an ambiguous target tree for sure other than that though like I just question how 
deep rosters have to be to hold on to other ancillary options like a David Bell, uh, like a Donovan Peoples-Jones? Like, do people actually have the courage to hold on to these players until week 12, thinking they won't be fruitful until then? And so that's where I keep coming back to with all the options around Jacoby Brissett. And like both of you, yeah, I, I can't really be high on them and expect Amari Cooper to still stay settled in around that Drake London, Adam Thielen range personally. I talked to yeah. Eddie, Gold, Eddie Golden from ESPN Radio in Cleveland, and he threw out the, the this range of possible outcomes was Cooper leads in targets and Joku second, and Harrison Bryant is third, right? So he was like, you know, we were trying to, you know, get him to go in on Donovan Peoples-Jones. I, I think Peoples-Jones is still someone you can invest in in best ball or take a flyer on. But beyond that, you know, if you're looking at the Anthony Schwartzes and, you know, some of these other pieces, it might be kind of futile. Yeah, I would just like to add on Njoku is that the reason I have a little bit of hope there, and you mentioned some good numbers there with his you know, tight end role in that offense, but not only that, but uh, Brissett, I believe, targeted the tight end position last year, 27% rate, uh, which isn't bad. Now, it wasn't for many touchdowns. It was like one touchdown, 400-something yards. But you know, from a target share standpoint, that's not bad. So if he is the number two, and I believe he will be, uh, at this point, the number two option there, he's you know not a bad TE2 uh, committee guy, but I wouldn't be counting on him for tight end one numbers as long as Brissett is uh, under center. Yeah, thinking about you know the investment they made in him and, and the talk before after they franchised him, they were willing to break the bank for him, and they kind of did a little bit. You know, I mean, it was a pretty good deal for you. I want to say fifty plus million dollars. So, uh, so clear. And Kevin Stefanski has a history of making use of tight end as well. So. Uh, so there's a lot to like there. I still think he's a breakout candidate for me. I still invest in him heavily. Um, but, you know, the overall concerns, you're kind of getting everything in Cleveland a little cheaper just based on the quarterback situation. Moving on to Seattle. Pete Carroll has mentioned that Ken Walker all of a sudden has, quote unquote, a little hernia thing. And the Seahawks are hoping to manage that situation so he can be ready to go in week one. If he were to go undergo surgery, for the hernia. Uh, history tells us that it, he'll likely miss six to 10 weeks with that recovery timeline. So overall, Paulson, what have you done in your rankings and any adjustments for Rashad Penny in particular? Uh, I had Penny ahead of uh, Walker ahead of this, uh, and I haven't really moved it much. I'm trying to get the clarity on the injury. I talked with our uh, sports injury expert, Adam Hutchinson at the site. Uh, he's basically saying there's a lot of gray area with hernias. Uh, sports hernia would be a longer timeline. Um, it's a failure of your abdominal wall somewhere, and it's a core injury. But he could be back in three to five weeks. When And when you're talking about or you're looking at what Carol said, and Carol's like so hard to trust. Forever the optimist. Yes. He thought just... Chris Carson was going to be ready, and Chris Carson retired a month later. So whenever you're like digesting this offseason news, you sort of have to uh, put it through that lens. But uh, he said, you know, we've got a chance to get him back quickly. I wouldn't think he would say that if it was a six to 10 week type injury. So even Pete Carroll wouldn't say that, I wouldn't think. Um, but uh, so I, you know, if he's I'm right now thinking that Walker's probably going to miss a game, maybe two at a minimum. Uh, and this does give Penny uh, an opportunity to sort of get a stranglehold on that job. He's back. It looks like he's fully healthy now which is a little bit surprising but you know it'd be funny if if we go into the season and penny is the one that is healthy the entire year and walker's the one struggling with injury because you know everybody thought it'd be the opposite i think anybody who hasn't been drafting penny ahead of walker is drafting that fear of injury and it's understandable right but i mean if you also what you might get is the guy you saw down the stretch last season or at least some percentage of that and i would take that gladly for the guy who ran like 200 yards more than any other back over the last what, five, six games of the season. So, and, and Pete Carroll's history, aside from the uh, endless optimism, is the fact that he he picks a guy and he likes him. And it's not like they haven't done this before where they had a running back on hand and then invested a, a fair amount of draft capital in his replacement only to let that replacement sit on the bench, says Rashad Penny, uh, who was a higher draft pick, was first round pick, right? And so, so like, I'm still all in on Penny. The, the Walker thing, they were really careful about the language. They made sure they stressed it wasn't sports hernia related and they called it a hernia related issue. So, and uh, the words were procedure. Ian Rappaport used the word surgery. So it, it's already happened. So uh, we'll find out. I didn't hear the famous Dr. Myers uh, name thrown out there yet, but probably that's the guy everyone goes to. But we'll see. I don't know. I had regular hernia surgery. I wasn't doing anything 
uh, week one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it might be a little lengthier. So we'll see. The same thing, you know, a little bit with Joe Burrow, who, you know, had the invasive procedure. It's a core muscle issue. And anytime they're doing something invasive, maybe it was laparoscopic. Who knows? I don't know what the actual procedure could be. But there's, you know, this this bears watching. I would also know in the Seahawks' first preseason game, Geno Smith played the entire first half, and even so, it was Travis Homer, as Sean Michael Duger has continued to emphasize at the Athletic, who was their third down back and essentially receiving option on conversion downs. Six to two third down snaps in favor of Homer over Walker, who in this case would be Penny if the season opened up today in place of Walker. And more importantly, nine snaps, 100% of third down snaps during the two-minute drill as the team's receiving back. So just be wary, especially if we're trying to predict positive game scripts for Seattle team. We do not expect to have many positive game scripts. I don't need to introduce Isaiah Pacheco. By now, everyone knows who he is and where he's going. But I do want to note that just recently, stemming from preseason reports, preseason game usage, and training camp, Pacheco, I've seen not just one draft, but the last three high-stakes drafts, 2K main event drafts on FFPC in particular, I've seen him go in the ninth, seventh, and sixth round. Absurd. Bob, where are you at right now, given the rise of the most well-known player, honestly, since camp opened? I'm probably in the same place I was when people were drafting Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round, his rookie year. I'm just watching the fun, right? I'll let everyone else invest. Like, maybe I will miss out. You know, some of this goes back to Brett Veach saying, hey, we're going to draft a seventh, you know, a seventh round pick is going to be a thousand yard rusher, right? And so, you know, here along comes Isaiah Pacheco and he does look good. And, you know, you listen to the people who follow the team on a daily basis. They're saying all these things, but also they're saying pretty good things about Clyde Edwards-Alaire who still looks like a pretty reasonable price at this point. Uh, so I probably will have a lot more shares of Edwards-Alaire than I will Pacheco. Maybe I have one or two in my best balls. I don't know. It's not something I'm out there prioritizing. We'll see. This may be a case where he's one of those redraft running backs that's going to win somebody a title when they pick him up off the waiver wire late in the season. But I think there's going to need some injuries. We'll see. Maybe Ronald Jones' presence or lack thereof will be a determining factor soon enough. And Edwards Hilaire Paulson did play the first seven snaps of Patrick Mahomes' 11 snaps in that first preseason game and then was taken off the field, not just for another back to rotate, but literally was taken out of the game entirely. He did play the third down that they played with Patrick Mahomes where he was removed from the game. So your thoughts on CEH and Pacheco overall? Yeah, I mean, I've got CEH CEH at 25 still and half PPR. Uh, Pacheco's like at 50 or or thereabouts. I mean, I think... I mean, I think Pacheco's now an interesting, you know, injury play, you know, late round guy. I this I saw the seventh round pick, uh, you know, in the FFPC main event. I think it was Evan Silva's draft with the established run guys, and uh, I couldn't believe it. But I guess that's where we're at. Um, I'm not going to be getting any shares of him at that range. Um, but I think the the thing to keep in mind with Edwards Hilaire is that he did come in, and we just need to remind people he did come in apparently last year coming off of a gallbladder surgery or some sort of surgery in the preseason. It didn't really was his weight was down. He wasn't doing that well at the start of the year. And, you know, he's a better player than what we saw last year. And if he can get back to what he, you know, did his first or second year, then um maybe he'll, you know, he'll return value where he's going. I mean, I think 25 and his ADP is kind of slipping here, I think. So um I think he's, he's safe from Ronald Jones. You know, he, he's he's not going to be in any danger of losing touches to him. It doesn't it doesn't seem so. Uh, I'm probably more you know inclined to maybe take a stab at Edward Slayer if he starts to slip in these middle rounds. And probably Jerick McKinnon is the guy we should all be watching yeah. anyway. Is the you know that we saw the tr- he seems to be a really good fit for what Andy Reid likes to do. And when you see the uh, the time he got in the playoffs last year, it's kind of worth noting. Yeah, he played ahead of Edward Slayer. You know, late in the year, that's a good point with McKinnon. So. Also, I'm still drafting Ronald Jones very late. He did work exclusively with the second string offense and actually blew a block that led to Shane Buchel getting sacked in that game, which can't do him any fa- can't do him any favors. Also, time is a flat circle with Ronald Jones's career. But 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 also like in the event he's cut, 
like that actually opens up more opportunities than if he were buried on this depth chart behind three other backs. And so knowing we're in redraft season now and our last three, four picks, especially in 18, 20 round leagues, get cut anyhow as we sift through the waiver wire weekly. Uh, I think he's fine because like he could land in Atlanta. He could land in Tennessee, for example. He could, he could land in a better spot as a contingency option. So I'm still taking him as a last round pick because right now no one wants him. And that's okay. Moving on to the opposite of Isaiah Pacheco. Because Antonio Gibson went through one hell of a weekend. Let's follow his trail of tears really quick. He did start Washington's first preseason game over the weekend, but was subbed out for J.D. McKissick on the first two third downs. Fumbled on the next drive when he came back in, which we know Ron Rivera has already been frustrated about because that was his bugaboo from last year. Then Gibson played with a second-team offense on the next drive, was subbed out in third and one for Jonathan Williams, gets a shot on third and two later on, does not convert, gets stuffed at the line. Jonathan Williams replaces him on fourth and short, actually converts that. And then the next 48 hours in practice, Gibson mixes in with the second and third string offenses and was used on special teams punt returns. Not as the punt returner, mind you, literally as a gunner and blocker on the special teams units. Bob, how are you treating Antonio Gibson now, who was initially going as RB21, RB22, and seems to keep falling into the six to eight round range? Well, that's like David Montgomery treatment, uh, that special teams. So he is a 10-foot pole player for me. Wouldn't touch him with yours. Um, and so we talked to J.P. Finley from NBC Washington yesterday, and he reiterated some of the things John Kime wrote about this week, if you saw it. Uh, they like his playmaking ability, Gibson. They think he's great at that. They realize he hasn't been playing running back that long, so they're willing to work with him. But also they want him to be more of a one-cut guy. They think that he starts dancing around, the ball moves out, you know, and he doesn't secure the ball, and that's how the fumbles happen. Uh, Ron Robinson Jr. is a piece they like. Ron Rivera talked earlier this year about the, you know, harkened back to his days in Carolina with Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams. And now we have J.D. McKissick in the mix as well uh, to throw a wrench into it. I just think, you know, the price has come down to the point where I could probably invest and should stipulate that he's been really productive the last two years, despite the negative kind of thoughts we have about him. He's put up pretty decent numbers. So I don't want to say, you know... I say 10-foot player, but honestly, I'll draft anyone if the price is right. And I think it's heading in the right direction right now. Um, I just don't have a lot of shares. I'd have to go back and see, but I don't think I have any right now. What do you think is the right price, Paulson? Because between him and Josh Jacobs, those are the two ADPs where I keep asking, when do I pull the trigger? And I'm actually not sure what the answer is. Yeah, these are two of my shy away players this year. So getting some discussion in early on the podcast. Uh Gibson, to me, like heading into the summer, was looking very interesting as a RB12, uh, RB13 the last two years, young player. I think normally we'd be tripping over each other trying to draft this guy. You know, good offensive line, uh, maybe a quarterback upgrade there in Washington. Uh, but yeah, the news just gets worse and worse. I mean, I really like him as a player, uh, but McKissick coming back eats into his catches. Robinson comes back, he's eating into his, uh, at least into his goal line touches, if not more. We see that if he has a fumble or has any sort of a mistake, he's going to get yanked and punished. Uh, I think that's what they were doing with the special team stuff. I mean, they might use him as a returner, but um, I think they were trying to punish him. I think he was back on the with the first-team offense after the, the punt return stuff. Uh, but it just seems so tenuous, his hold on these touches, and that's why you just sort of avoid him. He's not a player that I'm looking to. Uh, draft at all in the middle rounds if I, if I need a running back and I fall into him in the seventh or eighth round maybe but I it's just not uh, it just is just doom and gloom and this is the time of year where it's supposed to be all you know puppy dogs and ice cream you know any bad news this time of year is just a real red flag for me so um, you know he's been sliding down my rankings and uh, you know along with Josh Jacobs who is in a similar type of committee uh, but things are I would say even worse for Gibson at this point. I try to pride myself on, you know, not looking down the drinking straw in these moments and looking at the bigger picture and and taking a broader look. But even the broader look in this case is not especially positive. So that's the concerns here. Let's play a quick name game, Bob, to help everyone out at home. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Lair or Antonio Gibson? Uh, CEH for me right now. Miles Sanders, Paulson or Antonio Gibson? Uh, that's tough. I mean, Miles Sanders has got his own sets, set of issues. I've had, I've got uh, Gibson at 31 right now and Sanders at 32. And Bob, Chase Edmonds or Antonio Gibson? I'll probably take a chance on Chase Edmonds at this point. Yes, so absolutely Edmonds. And honestly, with the Ken Walker injury, we were probably looking at Rashad Penny over Antonio Gibson as well. All so day. 
so that and I I have Damian Harris over Antonio Gibson definitely. So honestly, we're looking at Gibson falling twelve a full round, fourteen more spots to the hundreds or just outside around the James Cook, Devin Singletary range. That's what we're telling everyone at home. And before that, probably don't draft him. Another late round running back we need to discuss, Bob, is Jamal Williams, who recall averaged 12.2 touches in 10 games with DeAndre Swift last year as a pseudo RB1, RB2 in the Lions' backfield. And what we saw on their first string offensive drive, the only 10 snaps this team played together in their first preseason game. Swift played six snaps and got four touches. And like last year, Williams also played four snaps and got two touches, including one target. So what's the fallout for you, knowing that Swift is still an option at the 12th, 13th overall pick, first, second round turn, along with Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, and Jamal Williams continues to basically be overlooked as a player that can provide touches, but also upside in the event Swift is ever injured. You're on mute. You're on mute, Bob. Mute, Bob. I think this is the one of the, one of those players that you should be watching for later in your drafts to get into the 11th, 12th round, uh, or even later in some drafts that I've seen him. He just seems to be totally ignored. Maybe part of that is because the Anthony Lynn, he of the 1A, 1B fame, is gone. But that doesn't mean Jamal Williams is gone. Uh, he's running back 52, I think, right now in NFFC ADP. And uh, I mean, that's. Everything you said is true. In this offense, they're going to make use of him. <clears throat> the other thing to take into account here is the offensive line in Detroit is really good. I mean, uh, maybe one of the better lines in football that wasn't last year because all the key components were missing. And then the components they cobbled together, they never had the same group on the field, I don't think, more than a game or two. So uh, this could be a whole different system, a whole different uh, situation for Williams this year than it was last year. Look, DeAndre Swift, I get it. He's talking about the thousand yards rushing thousand yards receiving he's still got to prove he can stay on the field maybe he can do that Deuce Staley has been trying to speak that into existence hopefully it happens but don't overlook Williams when you get that late into your draft yeah I would you know I watched uh hard knocks last night uh and this week's and they talked about that game and I believe it was that same game I'm assuming it was and Swift missed a cut that he was supposed to take inside he went outside and uh it was Deuce Staley yanked him off the field to yell at him and then got him back in there. So to me, the snap counts just for that series might be a little bit skewed as to what they really want to do with Swift. I mean, the way they were talking about or way that Deuce Staley's talking about him is like he could be the the best running back in the league uh, and the most productive. So I don't know that they really want to split it as much as they did last year. Uh, I am sort of on board with this low-end RB1 valuation of, of Swift, especially in PPR formats due to his ability to catch the ball. Um so that I just wanted to add that from the from the sideline, uh, Mike, and all that what was going on with Swift and why he got pulled on one of those series at least. And I don't know exactly uh, how many snaps he sat out because they did edit it pretty quickly. But um, you know they, they plugged Williams in and they yanked Williams out and put Swift back in there to see if he could uh, fix the issue that he had. Reminder also that Jamal Williams averaged 19 touches and the three starts he made in place of DeAndre Swift last year, just in case you're digging out contingency options in those final rounds. And finally, some quick notes on the Jets' first string offense, because what we saw in their first preseason together, Michael Carter got the start over Brees Hall. That's significant. But also, the two mirrored each other with 10 snaps apiece, and the only drive their first string offense was on the field. And that's important because, as we know, Bob, Brees Hall is being drafted third, fourth round around Travis Etienne is one of the tier-breaking options before we get to Elijah Mitchell, J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, that range, while his teammate, Michael Carter, is usually available in the 12th or 13th round. What are your thoughts on how to handle this backfield this year? I'm fine investing at Hall. I mean, I think it's a little bit pricey, and I'm not doing it a heck of a lot, but clearly the Jets you know, made an investment in him, so you can kind of follow their lead. Super productive in college, uh, touchdown machine, all those things. I just wonder how good this offense is going to be in general. Uh, that would be my concern. And Carter, you know, if you're looking for the cheap play again, late in best balls, or you don't have to decide which week to play him, I think that's the more the problem for the cheaper assets in some of these situations. So if you're out there on underdog and you're setting, you know, you're drafting right now, don't be afraid to dive in on the guys like Carter. And I would say Williams as well. Uh, but but a Hall is okay at his current price. I've taken some chances. I just, you know, my biggest concern with him is that offense in general. Of course, the recent issues with the offensive line. Yeah, they're not they're not handing the job to him. Clearly, they're 
you know, making him work for it. They're starting the, the quote unquote veteran who's, you know, one year more of experience ahead of him. So uh, the Jets offensive line should be better this year. They did make some investments along the front and, you know, the offense in general should be better. But, we, you know, we're losing Zach Wilson for a week or two and or maybe longer. And Joe Flacco's under center. Uh, so it's, you know, Brees Hall is not a player that I don't, I don't think I've drafted him yet this year. It's just, I have him at 19. It's just that in that situation, once you get into the fourth round, I'm just, I'm looking elsewhere. I like the receivers in that range. I like Ezekiel Elliott better in that range. So, uh, you know, this is when I am targeting running backs, I want touches. I don't care if they are a little bit inefficient, if they're getting 18, 20 plus touches, that's what I want. If it's guaranteed. So that's why I'd rather have somebody like, Ezekiel Elliott than a Brees Hall at this point. Now, by the end of the year, he may have you know won the job and he's you know getting two thirds of the touches and is an RB one. But um, right now, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case at least in September. I totally agree with that. The, you know, the chasing volume thing and the, and the sure volume that you get with Ezekiel Elliott, I would much rather have him any day. And so I do, I, I do agree, and I, and I worry about the overall level of offensive competency in this case. I've been comparing this year's Jets to last year's Broncos, uh, last year's Lions, where we're still a quarterback away from this offense truly being competent. Having said that, it's an ambiguous situation with basically eight rounds, nine rounds separating the two running back options, and honestly, the only two running back options. Thus, I keep drafting Michael Carter, and I actually write about that more in my top 17 flyers for 20-round leagues that's available right now on the site. Also, quickly, before we move on, just want to note, Jahan Dotson, 22 of 22 snaps with Carson Wentz, played two wide sets. That's important considering he's a smaller body we thought could maybe just get jammed exclusively to the slot and either Diami Brown or Curtis Samuel play on the outside. Not the case in Washington's first preseason game. That's very important. Also note, Isaiah McKenzie, we figured it was headed this way, but Isaiah McKenzie got healthy scratched in the first preseason game with Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and Dawson Knox, which tells you everything you need to know. While Jameson Crowder played with a second string offense and dropped a pass that resulted in an interception for Case Keenum. Let's take a quick break and come back with our top fades of 2022 drafts. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app, use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. All right, gentlemen, we could talk football all day. So I want to try and limit ourselves to two fades apiece. And Bob, as the guest of honor, whether it be for ADP, player profile, offensive situation, whatever your reasons are, I would love to get your first fade for fantasy drafts this year uh, i'm gonna go with saquon barkley right now current Ooh. nfc adps like running back nine and so it seems like to me we're putting a lot of hopes on the fact that brian dables in new york now and the offense is going to be a lot better and it is because uh, it has to be because it couldn't be much worse than last year they scored like what 15.2 points a game led the league low or second to the lowest in touchdown scored uh, offense was touchdown scored and they did add the offensive line, and Dable is great. But my question, and we saw Jordan run on from ESPN report yesterday, Barkley is in line for a huge workload. Probably so. Agree with all that. All those things are true. Also, I don't know that Saquon Barkley is the same Saquon Barkley this team drafted. Last year, he had three runs of 20 yards or more, nine runs of 10 yards or more. You know, I just haven't seen that same explosiveness and, and what got us all excited about him in the first place. So maybe he is going to be better. Maybe this offense is going to be better. It's a very low bar, so I suspect it will be somewhat better. But I don't know that it's going to be great. I don't know that Saquon Barkley is going to be top 10 running back great. And this is more about that price than it is about Barkley. I'd be fine drafting that workload a little later. I'm just not getting it later. And it's not the touch competition, Paulson, as Bob mentioned, because Matt Breed is behind him. I think that answers the question about who's going to handle touches. But then you look and say, well, actually, uh, last year, or since 2020, I should say, Barkley has actually had the 15th lowest rate of 10-yard runs. Just 6% of his total runs has not been explosive whatsoever for injury concerns. But also then we're asking, who's to say that explosiveness just suddenly comes back overnight? 
Yeah, this is. I, I just keep thinking about Ezekiel Elliott going in the middle of the fourth round, and you know Saquon Barkley going near the one-two turn, and and why why is this? Um, I don't ha- have a problem with Barkley necessarily in the middle of the second round. I think near the one-two turn, it gets you know there's some other backs that are there that are you know we know are going to produce. Um, I think uh, in this situation. The, the, so, there's so much changeover at the offensive line. Obviously, the coaching staff's different. I do like the fact that it's, we're another year removed from the injury, so he should be closer to full health. I think he probably will get back to Barkley of old, but I don't know when that will be. And this offense may not score many touchdowns, so I don't know how often they're going to be in the red zone and give him those those prime touch opportunities. So I don't have a problem. I have him at 11, and he's uh, going, you know, you said nine, Bob, uh, in one ADP, but he's going eight. RB8 at underdog. So uh, that's a pretty steep price for somebody with some question marks. Uh, I did take him in the middle of the second round when some of the other running backs were gone, and I wanted to go running back in the middle of the second round, but um, that's my only uh, time I've drafted him this year. And I think his ceiling outcome is important to chase in large field best ball tournaments. When we're talking about 12-team redraft home leagues, as you said, there are lots of options at the end that are probably more reliable. And so I don't think you necessarily need to chase the upside and floor floor that's that's pending. That's all we're arguing here about this player that comes with Barkley's like downside. Paulson, what about that. one of your fades? Well, I've already talked about uh, mentioned Antonio Gibson, but I'm gonna maybe somebody that's surprising is Alvin Kamara. Um, I I just can't get behind. Him. I understand that I understand the top five upside. We saw him have some monster monster games. They all came when Mark Ingram was out of the lineup, injured, sidelined, whatever. Whenever Ingram has been healthy, Kamara's uh, touch touches have been down. Twenty four point four touches without. Uh, Ingram last year, 16.8 with Ingram. Same thing happened in 2017, 2018 when Ingram was with the team. Uh, Kamara saw 14.3 touchdowns in 27 games with Ingram, 22.8 touches in four games with Ingram sideline. So, yes, here's the upside. If you really want to draft Kamara, there's a story you could tell yourself, which is Ingram's 32 years old. The Saints have a different head coach in there. They want to get away from him. They're looking to replace him. I just don't know that they want to give Kamara the the workload that he has been seeing to see those high-end RB1 numbers. I'm also slightly concerned that the videotape of his antics uh, off-field, supposedly the police reported that he was seen and captured on video kicking somebody while they were down. If that drops, then all of a sudden a suspension is sort of in play because the NFL will maybe have its hand forced a little bit on that front. Now, I don't think legally he's in much jeopardy of being suspended this year other than the videotape dropping. So there's that. Um, but I'm just sort of not like he's going in the middle of the second round. And I, there's other players that I want at that point at the running back position. I'd take Fournette over him uh, pretty easily. And uh, I, I just worry a little bit about his workload and that whole legal thing. Yeah, the, the the videotape is the concern, right? I mean, if that comes out anytime, we'll talk to Mike Triplett this week, and you know he's surprised it already hasn't. I'm surprised it already hasn't. And if it does, that will change the dynamic. They'll wait until after the season, I'm guessing, because that the, the hearing he hasn't even appeared at court. It's all been you know just the initial filing. So when they delayed that August first, two months into October, that all but ensured that there's not going to be resolution of the criminal case before the end of the season, but the videotape will be a game changer if it comes out. And he did handle a career high 22 touches per game last year, but also small sample, but his four games he played with Mark Ingram, he was the weekly RB 17, RB six, RB 50 and RB 35. So not really great results in that month. He played alongside Mark Ingram once the team traded for the veteran. Uh, I think it's volatile. Like I'm still high on him around the second round turn, but I also understand that, there's a wide range of outcomes for the first time in Kamara's career, especially with Jameis Winston and arguably the most talent throughout its entire offense that the Saints have had going back, what, five, six years, if not later. Yeah, his targets are his targets are under pressure. I mean, Michael Thomas is back. Uh, Jarvis Landry is a target hog. Olave looks really good. So, yeah, I mean, I mean maybe Bob was going to comment on the same thing, but there's, there's definitely target competition when there wasn't in the previous years with Kamara. Yeah, just a competent receiving core and, and no Drew Brees, who is like looking to dump down anyway. What a quarter of his targets went to running backs when he was playing. And just those 80 catch days, I think, are over. 
All right. I have given this take on other serious shows when I unfortunately didn't get to overlap with Bob and was working with others instead. But I'll go ahead and send it out into the ether and just accept what my mentions become afterwards. And that I think Najee Harris is arguably the worst first round pick of fantasy drafts this year. The NFL's leader in overall touches, 381 last year, handled 87% of Pittsburgh's backfield touches, saw 94 of their 106 running back targets, and yet that extreme workload, still he finished as the eighth RB8 in fantasy points per game. And yet everyone wants to jam him in and try to treat him as a top five running back when he's proven He's not explosive. He doesn't have that profile. He sheds tackles, but big runs that allow you to become a top five running back. He has just 29 gains of 20 plus yards on 945 career carries going back to Alabama, including just four on 307 carries last year. And so given the other running backs that I think are in better environments that actually will handle more touches as well, since I don't ex expect him to sustain that production from last year to not even production. I don't expect him to sustain the workload from last year. Then Najee Harris for me, middle of second round, just fine. And sometimes he does fall there very rarely, but in the first round, I cannot get behind that, Bob. I feel like you're doing my Austin Eckler take where I, I'm reminding everyone that those uh, 12 rushing touchdowns were nine more than he ever had. But, but I, you know, look, there's, I think the thing about every draft is there's a, there, it's like a pothole in the road. If there's a, if there's a piece you don't like there, there's lanes, room in the lane to drive around it. And I think the same thing in the first round, we're drafting everyone at their ceiling anyway. I'm fine taking Harris up there, but, but valid points all on your part. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I have him at RB5, but you're kind of rubbing off on me, John, because I, I don't know that I've drafted him since you since I heard, first heard that that take on him. I'm typically, you know, pivoting to Kelsey or one of the stud receivers that are still on the board at that point and then looking for an Aaron Jones or a Mixon or a DeAndre Swift in the early second round, late in the in the first round, because that's typically where he's going is like late first round. Um, I do, you know, I do think that his floor is pretty safe. I think he'll see the vast, vast majority of touches in Pittsburgh. Uh, maybe he's not the greatest, uh, you know, breaking of tackles and breaking off long runs type player. But as I mentioned earlier, if you follow the touches and in, in running back position, you're generally going to be pretty, pretty good. He's not a guy. I'm certainly not a guy I'm targeting. Um, and I know you have Dalvin cook ahead of him, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Dalvin cook, you know, I we we're going to probably see the most targets Dalvin Cook has ever seen in his career. I wrote in my team preview too that Dalvin Cook. We talk about the passing game with Kevin O'Connell and more eleven personnel carrying that over from the Rams, but Dalvin Cook also for his career and it's been twenty seven percent of his career runs has averaged five point two yards per carry from three wide sets. Like the the ceiling has never been higher for Cook. Yeah, I, I agree. Cook has got a lot of upside. The only thing that holds me back on him is that shoulder. And, you know, talking to the PT guys, like the reoccurrence of that shoulder separation uh, could not come out. It, it, I mean, it didn't happen last year. It just wasn't as bad, uh, but it could not come out for a long length of time. So he's like one of those guys that is a little bit of an injury red flag for me. Yeah, I'm tempted to be injury agnostic, but, you know, I, I say that, you know, players can be chronically injured, but not have a chronic injury. When you have those injuries that start repeating, that's when I start paying a little more attention. And if you are running back Will Fuller, as Dalvin Cook is, where you're basically winning weeks in the few times you're available, I'm still fine drafting you at your proper ADP. Bob, your second fade. So he's one of four players who has scored a touchdown, at least six touchdowns in each of his uh, seasons as a pro. One of the only guys to do it since uh, 1970. Uh, I'm going with Tyreek Hill. I don't know that he does it this year. Right? It's just the volatility. We don't know the situation. He's a very good player. I'm fine if you want to draft him. I'm finer drafting Mike Evans. Uh, I'm finer drafting a handful of guys in that range. I just don't think, you know, the changing situation, the grass is always greener on the other side until you get to the other side. And then you're trying to tell me Tua is a more accurate quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. I'm thinking you're selling a little too hard, young man. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, I have great concerns about Tyreek Hill. I see him going in the same range every time. People don't share my concerns, uh, and I'm happy to watch them take them. And if they win a title with him, I will shake their hands and say good on you. And Paulson, Tyreek Hill and Debo Samuel pretty much make my argument for 2022 fantasy drafts and letting the wide receiver board come to you rather than drafting these players that easily have regression like in their career. Uh, like we know Tyreek Hill was the wide receiver five in fantasy points per game in his last year from Alex Smith, which we comp to Tua Tagovailoa and this offense for the Dolphins, but also like coming off a career low 2.1 yards per route run. And also we're 
three, four years removed from that last season with Alex Smith. So can Tyreek Hill even sustain that kind of production underneath and run it upfield? And that's why I keep questioning his ADP as like the wide receiver eight or nine in drafts. Yeah, you know, I, think, I like that call by Bob. Uh, Tyreek is not a player I've drafted much if, at all, I don't think, this year. Um, you know, situation change, team change, quarterback change. Uh, they've got Jalen Waddle, who's perfectly capable. Mike Gusecki gets some targets. Um, you know, obviously Chase Edmonds, I love. So he's going to get some catches out of the backfield as well. So there's quite a bit of competition. Uh, and, and just offense is not going to be as good as what the Chiefs were. So I wouldn't, I don't know why he's being drafted maybe two or three spots lower than what he was with, with, with the Chiefs. So um, in that second round, you talked about Debo and Tyreek. I totally agree. I think that the second round is kind of a red flag for for receivers, unless you're getting maybe a CeeDee Lamb or a, a Devontae Adams in the early second round. Uh, but once you get into some of these other guys, uh, Bob mentioned Mike Evans, who I really liked at the start of the year, but uh, with Godwin maybe coming back, we've got Julio Jones there now, and Tom Brady's like off in the wilderness. We don't know where he's at. Uh, maybe Evans is not as rock solid of, in terms of uh, target floor as we thought he was going to be a couple months ago. So um, what I'm getting at is that you get into the third round, there's just a bunch of these really interesting uh, high-end wide receiver twos like Pittman and you know even Keenan Allen and uh, – getting into the fourth round uh, terry mclaurin um I'm, I'm forgetting a couple right out off the top of my head but some really or dj moore who i really like with B, uh, baker mayfield coming over um as a big upgrade from a from a very bad quarterback situation to a mediocre i think that's a big upgrade for him um those are those are the players i like to target and that for that reason i'm not taking a receiver like terry kill in the middle of the second round paulson what about your second fade yeah, I don't know how surprising this one's going to be. Cam Akers with his Achilles injury, I uh, was already a little bit red flagged on him, and he came back and you know did the best he could to help them during their uh, Super Bowl run. I'm rooting for him, uh, but he was like his one eight one point eight eight yards per carry, 135 yards on 72 carries in five games there for the Rams, and I you know I sort of had him ranked in like the third fourth round at the start of the year, kind of got into the fourth round value. Uh, as time was sort of wearing on. Uh, but now we have uh, Sean McVay, who's been a bell cow type guy. Um, and they did treat him like a bell cow when he came back from injury last year. Uh, now he's talking about having two starting running backs with, with, with acres and with Daryl Henderson. I think that is the thing now that is driving him into a do not draft situation. I think if the ADP or if his, you know, he had fallen far enough, I might've taken him as my RB two or even my RB one in a, you know, like a zero RB build or something early receiver build. But now I'm just kind of off acres completely. I, I think I'd rather take a shot on Henderson uh, knowing that Akers might have an injury that pops up and all of a sudden you have a 12th round pick who's, who's you know, posting top 12 numbers in, in Daryl Henderson. I've given up on trying to figure out the situation, Bob. Uh, I was hard on K-Makers at the beginning, knowing I was fighting an efficiency uphill battle, but with Sean McFay only using one running back, 12 games last year where the starting running back for the Rams didn't get injured, and in 11 of those 12 games, the RB1 handled at least 70% of backfield touches. McFay has historically only used one running back, but given the training camp news, and then given that Henderson also splitting touches, and then now this new injury with Cam Akers, I've given up altogether. I have no idea what to do anymore. Yeah, I'm taking the John Paulson approach to this one. I am just standing back and letting others be the hero there. Uh, and so, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overstate it because I thought I thought the workload at the end of the season, at the end of last year when he came back was really great, and the the production was not obviously, and maybe he did lack some explosiveness. Also, he was going against some really tough defenses, not least of which was Cincinnati, who suddenly uh, you know became one of the tougher units in the league uh, when it mattered most. So I want to give him a little leeway, but the price right now, there are again other players that I would prefer to have in that same range, or uh, some that I'd like to have a little later. And earlier this this year in the early best balls, I was seeing him into you know going into the first round in some cases. He's dialed back from that. I'm I'm guessing he'll dial down, dial back more with these latest comments from McVay. And if so, maybe I'll have a little bit of them. And finally, my second fade is none other than TJ Hawkinson, who in his first year from Jared Goff 
did have career highs in targets per game, target share, 21%, and catch rate. And remember, all of this actually happened before Monra St. Brown lit the world on fire and won everyone's leagues for them to close the year because Hawkinson didn't undergo thumb surgery until prior to the team's last five games. And right now, industry consensus, I think, is right. T.J. Hawkinson tied in seven right behind Dalton Schultz. That's fine. But we keep painting this theoretical upside for T.J. Hawkinson that we have no idea if he even holds. And honestly, he has yet to prove any of it to us. So I don't want to lean that direction, thinking he's an explosive tight end who's suddenly going to emerge compete as a top five option. Because in his range right now, where he's going in the 90s on underdog ADP, you could still get not even just like Dallas Goddard right behind him, but you can still take a chance on Traylon Burks, the receiver position, Rashad Penny still around there, Kareem Hunt as a contingency option, Robert Woods, Damian Harris, Tyler Lockett. I would much rather have those players, not to mention some others behind him, Damian Pierce too, for example, rather than reaching for a tight end whose upside may not even exist with that high draft capital. That's just my opinion. Paulson, your thoughts. I'm higher on him than you are, apparently. I, you know, I, I think he, he is behind Dalton Schultz, who I, I think I'm higher on him. I'm really bullish on Schultz. I think he's the one tight end uh, in this top five or six whose situation has really improved uh, this year with Cooper Moot leaving and everything. I don't know why I'm going off on a Dalton Schultz rant, but uh, if I don't get Schultz, I start to look at Hawkinson because I think he's like one of the last guys I really trust in terms of his target floor. Um, I, I think Dallas Goddard is just as good, if not better, of a player and more productive. But, you know, this whole Jalen Hurts uh, thing with A.J. Brown coming in and, you know, Devonta Smith is there as well. I just think for a run, if that's a run-oriented team, then Goddard's not going to uh, see a ton of targets. Now, there was some uh, talk about his targets in training camp, uh, his target share being pretty high in training camp, but Devonta Smith was sitting out. So I don't know how that's all going to shake out. If he's the third option, in that offense, I don't know. So I think Hawkinson will be the number two option uh, at worst in this passing game in Detroit. And I think he and Goff have a pretty good connection. And, you know, you talked about St. Brown. And, yes, he blew up at the end of the year. He blew up primarily, in my estimation, because Hawkinson was out and just wasn't there to absorb those targets. It doesn't mean that St. Brown – I like St. Brown in the fifth round as well. Uh, but I think they both can kind of share that uh, wide receiver one, receiver one type role. Uh, I think Hawkins is like one of the last guys I really like trust in terms of his his target floor. John Daigle, sir, I did not sign up for this Hawkinson slander when I came aboard. Listen now. I know. Uh, so, uh, you know, I talked to Benjamin Raven from MLive.com. And, you know, and by the way, he's a great reporter. You should check him out. He's, he takes a fantasy slant really well. But but we were asking him about the targets for, you know, what, what the expectations should be for Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, because last year – down the stretch was double digits and he thought the same thing John did it was basically the lack of Hawkinson and he says if anyone's on this team is going to get double digits targets every game it's going to be Hawkinson and so I do like the volume I prefer uh I prefer Ertz a little later than all those guys but but I but I'm not against Hawkinson I think he's a fine play but the health concerns have followed along again trying to be injury agnostic there they, it hasn't been a chronic issue it's been a variety of issues I think he'll be just fine he has to do more than finishes the tight end 15 in points per game on a career high in target share, personally, for me, to draft him in that range. Bob, tell everyone when your show is on and where else they can find you. Uh, you can hear me on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio weeknights 8 to 10. Uh, you can find my work at footballdiehards.com. You can find some of it at 444.com. It's a fantastic website. I do some of the preseason stuff there as well, so check that out. And uh, Otherwise, hit me at Football Diehard on the Twitter. Paulson, what else do you have on the site right now for everyone? Well, all my uh, sleepers, values, and breakouts articles are up, so that's all done. I can check those off, and now I'm just, uh, you know, going to keep up on the rankings, and I've got a couple more articles to write, uh, and doing a podcast with you, John. We will be back next week to update everyone on our projections and ranking updates stemming from the second week of preseason. Until then, remember, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.